Welcome to the Business Insider Podcast, supported by Lisa Sales Rep and Inc. 5000 Company, helping our clients grow sales by generating more qualified leads, guaranteed appointments, and closing contracts face-to-face across the country. Um, thank you for listening in to our podcast that is uh, listened to by C-level executives, VPs of marketing, operations people, and of course, some salespeople that listen into uh, what's going on industry-wide. Today, uh, we have the the pleasure of chatting with uh, Mike Campbell, who is the uh, principal consultant at AtCam Consulting, and he uh, works in the pharma industry and um, has been doing so for a long time. Uh, a very interesting background. We're going to get into that and how he landed where he is and what he's doing today. We'll talk about the the the, the status of the the retail or the pharma industry in general, the status of the pharma industry and where we are. And we're going to have a really good conversation around that. Uh, Mike, thanks for uh, coming on. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Gilbert. Good to be here today. Yeah, good to be with you, man. Um, listen, uh, talk to us a little bit about, about um, you know, your trajectory. Just, uh, um, you know, when we came across each other's path, I mean, your background uh, from a, um, you know, retail pharmacy, you're actually a pharmacist trained kind of uh, person. And then you got into the business side of the house. So you got that clinical kind of background and business right and like which which is really really cool and fascinating like you and i when we spoke two sides of the brain right you know you got the clinical side you got the business side which is great uh talk a little bit about your your background and how you landed what you're doing today and we're gonna yeah go into a whole bunch of questions on the industry itself and where we are yeah so just you know give you like a, a cliff note version of you know how i got yep. into what i did because you know i could take the whole hour podcast to tell you my life story <laughs> yeah but you know i started i my love you know my, my my grandparents were very sick people especially my grandmother she she was probably on every drug in the pharmacy i just didn't know it at the time you know being a 15 16 year old independent pharmacist and he owned a town called byard mercer back in clarksburg west virginia uh, they took care of my grandparents growing up. Um, and, you know, I was so interested in what my grandmother was taking. So Jim would take the time to explain all the drugs to me. And I thought it was fascinating how these drugs worked. And, you know, now you know what Lasix does. You know, we, you know, she was on, you know, Digitech back in the day because she had a heart arrhythmia. So just understanding them was so fascinating. So he would do career day. Jim would do career day at, at Robert Seabird High School back in Clarksburg. And I was just so fascinated with, you know, how he how he, you know, presented himself. And I said, you know, I'm going to be a pharmacist. So I went to undergrad at the University of Charleston in the capital city of Charleston, West Virginia. And, um, you know, I told myself, you know, if I got to like pharmacy, I better work in the field somehow, because if I don't like it, then I'm going to do all this work for nothing. So I got a job at Rite Aid down the street from the school, became a clerk at the time back in 99, 2000. Um, And that's just when it took off. I loved it, had a great crew that I worked with. Um, had great mentors in that pharmacy. One of them was uh, Dr. Scott Van Brocklin. Yeah, I think he still lives in the town. You know, he he took me under his wing. You know, give him props. He's the one that flew me out to Loma Linda University in 2003 for my interview, where I got in and eventually moved here. Um, I worked for Rite Aid until I graduated uh, back in Charleston. Moved to Loma Linda. Went to Loma Linda University School of Pharmacy. Graduated in 2007. Um, and then, you know, once I got done graduating as an intern 
you know, I flipped between Rite Aid that was down the street from the school and I worked in hospital. I got into the hospital gig. I worked at Arrowhead Regional Medical Center as, a, as an intern. Um, and at when I graduated, I decided to go work for Walgreens because they were offering sign-on bonuses. So I'll tell any student that's out there that's listening that'll listen to this, don't follow the money because money's not everything and it, it will not make you happy. I'm just, I'm just going to keep it at that. Uh, so I worked for Walgreens for probably like three to six months. And then and he, he became my, my boss. And he was Paul Norris. He was the executive director of pharmacy at Loma Linda. He was there for like 30 some years. He was executive director for 20 some of them. Cool guy. Gave me a lot of opportunity. He called me and said, hey, we have an opening in the ED department. You want to come interview? Yeah. Interviewed was one of the first ED clinical pharmacists at Loma Linda University Medical Center, which is a level A trauma center in San Bernardino. Uh, spent about a year there, and then uh, got into got into management. Not because I wanted to, more more I was. They kept pestering me to do it. So about the third time someone asked me to be the supervisor at one of our surgical centers, I said yes. I went down there, you know, with a stipulation as if I didn't like it, I'm going to come back to the ED because that's what I love to do. Uh, but then I, I fell in love with management. And then that's where the ball started, Gilbert. Uh, I loved it so much and was doing a lot of cool things in management that I decided to go back to school in 2011 and get my MBA from the School of Public Health at Loma Linda University. It took me four years because I was a full-time you know, employee working. So I took a, a one class a week at night. They accommodated their schedule, this program. And so I graduated in 2015 with my MBA. And then in 2013... You know, after about four or five years working as a supervisor um, and other management managerial duties, I became the director of pharmacy at the Children's Hospital at Loma Linda. Um, spent about three years there. And then, you know, like anyone else, I got married in 2010. I have two daughters. Um, and so I wanted to spend a little bit of time with them. I was driving from East L.A. to Loma Linda, which was an hour, one direction, an hour back. That's two hours on the road a day. I wanted more time with them. So I moved to Pomona. Um, spent six years there revamping the pharmacy, you know, building a 21st century pharmacy operations, technology, decentralized model, um, just putting a lot of cool things, you know, within pharmacy, you know, PNP, you know, staying on top of law. And then, you know, my consulting kind of gig kind of took off. I have friends in the industry that say, hey, can you help me with this project? Can you help me with that? And it, And I liked it so much that I said, you know what? At Pomona, I've done everything that I could. You know, they gave me a lot of opportunity there. I just said, you know what, it's time for me to move on, hand the reins over to someone else and get in the consulting world. And then um, I got a call maybe a few months ago from a good friend that asked me to be the chief business development officer at Wellife RX, a pharmacy management services company. So I helped them develop their business model and kind of go out to the industry and get them clients. So I've been working in kind of dual role the last few months. So it's been fun. Been a fun ride the last. Interesting. That's I would good. say over twenty over twenty years. It's been fun. You know, I've learned a lot. Have a big network, and you know, I wouldn't change anything. Interesting. Know, um, I had to go back. No, that's good. Um, you know, uh, interesting where um, we are right now um, in the in the pharmaceutical industry, in the the you know retail and and hospital stuff, and um, you know. I remember when I um, um, 
was working actually in healthcare. I was an administrator years ago. Well, it's a long time ago, over 20 years ago. Um, so I haven't been in the industry where I was running hospital floors and ERs and med surge and primary care centers, those kind of things. I remember that the pharmacist that we engaged with when I was in the actual operation side of healthcare now, and then I moved to the vendor side, a lot of them, their holy grail for the pharmacist was to work in a hospital pharmacy versus right. retail pharmacy. And then ironically, over the years, retail pharmacy became more financially lucrative than right. hospital-based pharmacy, although hospital-based pharmacy, you did more of your... There was a, from what I understand, there was more interest in the, you use more of your skills just from, right. uh, I don't want to minimize what pharmacists do at the retail side, but it was more, right. you know, the, the infusions and the, and the drip bags and all this kind of stuff, right. and monitoring interactions. And so it became the Holy grail. Um, and I'm not sure if it still is now, is it? I mean, I mean, do you know if it's still the Holy grail to work at a hospital or is it really? Yeah, it is. Money? No, it, no, everybody okay. wants to work in hospital because, you know, okay, it, it's hard to get into the hospital now because when I was graduating, yeah, you know, residency was kind of like on the cusp of taking off. Like you needed to do a residency, right, right, right to get a hospital job. Now that is the gold standard. If you want to get into hospital, you better do a residency because, you know, the residency kind of process or aspect of what you know that that a residency piece that someone does. That's a building block of you getting asked to stay on after your residency program is done, right? Depending on how well you do. They roll test uh, you. And I you know, yeah, absolutely, because because you're trained, you get a stipend. You know, yeah. residency is not you. You you're, you have to become a licensed pharmacist. Right, of course, that's get that, that that's that's given. You have to do that, and then you get a stipend. I mean, it's not much. It's like forty, fifty thousand, depending on where you're at. It might be more if you do another specialized residency, like a PGY two or a fellow. You'll get ten thousand more, whatever. But you're not making a pharmacist salary. You know, you're you're in postgraduate training, become specialized. Um, but it depends on how well you do. So I tell the residents that I had, you know, that came through Pomona, is like, you, you know, you need to prove yourself. You know, pharmacy is not and hospital pharmacy. People don't realize it's not a nine to five job. Mm -hmm. It is not pharmacy. Hospital pharmacy is twenty four seven. There are, you know, when you get out of pharmacy and this, and this is, this is me and, and people, you know, that graduated when I did and, you know, we got out of school at the same time. You have to, you know, when you get out of school, you work the swing shift. You don't work this nine to five banker stuff. Gilbert. They, they don't realize that. I'm sorry to say that the kids today, they're too, it, it, in my mind, I, I might get flack for this, but they're spoiled. They want this nine to five, eight to four thirty. You know, work life. I get the work life balance. I have kids. I want work life. I want to spend time with my kids. I get that. Mm -hmm. But you have to pay your dues to get where you're at. And and a lot of, you know, my mentors like the Scots and the Pauls of the world, you know, they worked. I'm telling you, they worked years on night shifts on Friday nights until they got off of that and got a got an eight to four thirty on a Friday. But Was it's it salary it's or hourly. Was salary or hourly? It's 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 hourly. So if you're in okay. management, okay. you're going to get salary. Right. So if you're if you're not if you're not if you're non-management it's 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 hourly. Okay. So you have exempt and non-exempt. So I was always exempt and you had non-exempt employees right. and those were the hourly. So, you know, hmm. I have to say that, you know, the holy grail today is to work in hospital because the retail side and I've been on both, it's it's the customer facing, right? The customers are not always pleasant. Um and I'm hearing these stories in the news. We see the news today, you know, 
retail pharmacy, these big corporations, they're in the news for the wrong reasons. They're not in the news for the right reasons. We saw, you know, you know, CVS, you know, in the news for, I, I guess, I don't know if you saw the Nevada story in Nevada where they gave the wrong um, medicine to a lady that aborted her pregnancy. I don't know if you saw that. That was in the news. It was, it was, a, it was a huge story. I mean, re- read that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, CVS is on the hook for a lot of things and people are walking out having walkouts. And it's not just CVS, it's Walgreens as well. People are tired of the working conditions. They're overworked and they're understaffed and they're not appreciated. And, you know, I think you see that now back in my time, I wanted to work retail when I got out of school. So you saw how now I'm like, hospital's <laughs> it for me. You know, I'm, right. I, I don't want to deal with that because even though both sides are, you know, hospital pharmacy is a cost center, retail pharmacies for profit, right? Mm-hmm. The difference is in a hospital pharmacy, I don't have to please my shareholders, you know, I have to please my I have to please my C-suite, my CFO, my VPs by keeping my expenses down. But I'm not sitting there going, OK, if someone calls out and I have a variable shift, it's not like, well, you can't call anybody else in because we're going to want to have you work short so we can, you know, increase our margins a little bit today. So, you know, we're not we're not bad, you know, when the quarter ends on our quarterly review. That's not ha- that doesn't happen in pharmacy and in, in, in hospital pharmacy. If someone calls out their variable shift. You call mm-hmm. someone in. Because there's work to be done and it'll get behind. And on the other side of our work is a patient and their care. So and yeah. we also get paid on our quality scores in a hospital too. So it's it's a different, it's a different kind of you know process. Yeah, environment. yeah. it the, is. Uh, yeah, the other uh, the other question I had was regarding um the retail uh pharmacy space and like when a patient um, a patient gets uh, a script from the doc and for an expensive medication, uh, and they go get it filled. I mean, who is really paying for all of that? I mean, I know there's insurance, obviously, insurance pays that. Um, and um, you know, h- how does that how does that work uh, for those expensive medications? You know, from a reimbursement perspective, but also like when we had an offline conversation about, um, let's say, Ozempic. Um, uh, and, uh, medications like that would, that are very expensive. Um, you know, how, how, you know, how is that being paid for? Is it, is the pharmacy, and this is, I'm, people have questions like, I'm sure like this, is the pharmacy who buys a lot of it getting a reduced rate, the insurance company is paying X and then the out of pocket is the, is the patient, but you know, what is like the, the real cost here kind of, I don't know if I'm asking the right question here, but uh, what is the who's really paying for all this meds that are being written at the you know the retail level? Well, it depends on the con. It depends on the contract that the pharmacy has, and if okay. they're in network and the formulary. Right. You know the P the PBM is probably the pharmacy the benefit head, manager. Yeah, the pharmacy benefit manager, and we know that you know we have the big three out there. We have CVS, Caremark, we have OptumRx, we have Express Scripts, right, or Elevance, whatever they they've renamed. So mm-hmm. many times I don't know what to call them. I just call them E, mm-hmm. right? You know, you know, and this vertical integration. We have to think about that too, Gilbert. Is this vertical integration, and, and I'll, it'll lead to me what I'm about ready to say in, in a little bit. Uh-huh. Vertical inter- integration, you know, allows for monopoly. They control the market. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you own the if you own the, the health plan. You know, CVS owns Aetna. Uh-huh. You know, OptumRx is owned by United Health, so they're bill on the payer. So what happens in in the PBM world and, you know, 
I don't, again, I don't work in that field. I know a little bit. I read a little bit. Mm-hmm. The PBM has a contractor rate with the pharmacy. They're going to pay the pharmacy the contractor rate. And then they're going to go ahead and turn around and build the insurance plan, right? Okay. And whatever the difference is, they're going to keep it. And that's called the spread, right? And they could pay, you know, the pharmacy next to nothing, you know, 10 bucks for a script, but then turn around and build the insurance. Let's call us, let's call it, you know, Gilbert's Gilbert PBM and Mike's a health plan, you know, and then Joe blows the pharmacy, you know, Gilbert, you're the PBM, you're paying, you know, the pharmacy 10 bucks, but then you're going to turn around and bill Mike a hundred bucks for it. So you're going to keep $90 spread. That's how it works. And, you know, the other thing too, is, you know, with these in-network plans or with these PBMs, you know, if you, if if you're a self-funded employer or that's that's your PBM that you have to go to, now they're owning the specialty pharmacies. So if you have a high cost med like you mentioned, they're shifting everything their way, even mail order, just to make margins. Uh, that's their forte. Um, and so you know you see this across the board. And and the other thing that they're doing is is you know and and, and it's going to affect these mom and pop shops you know, um, at the beginning of this coming year, January 1st, is the DIR fees, the direct and indirect renewation fees that are done for CMS. And those are are, um, kickbacks that, you know, these pharmacies have to pay back to, you know, the PBMs. And again, who owns the PBMs, right? Right. Right. so, so, So who's going to put these people out of business? And that's something that we're going to have to think about. And you know, again, these big corporations are creating these pharmacy deserts mm-hmm. and they're causing healthcare to, I, I don't know, have a have a real bad, I don't want to say a bad name, but something needs to change because this is how I think about it. You work in a healthcare, you work for the healthcare industry, right? Pharmacy's healthcare. You know, mm-hmm. we're taking care of patients. They're getting, every drug's a dangerous drug. That's what I learned in law school because every drug has a side effect. Right. You know, whether we like it or not. And as a pharmacist, I'll be the first one to say, I don't like taking meds. You know, it's funny to say, but I'm, I, 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 I studied pharmacy, but I hate taking meds because I know the side effects of all of them. Right, right, right. But, but you know, you know, the thing this where I was getting at is, yeah. you know, you know, these, these big corporations are putting these mom and pops out of business. And we're going to be creating these pharmacy deserts and, the, what what's what the issue that I have is at the top of these corporations are non-clinical people. They don't understand the quality. They don't understand the clinical trials behind it. The people that are running these corporations, they're business people. Yeah, finance they, operations. They, no their finance operations are no clinical. Right. You know, and I'm not going to name names, but they have no. Cl- I have more clinical in my pinky nail than they they had in their whole life. And that's not right because they don't understand that side of it. They understand that one, they're pleasing their show, shareholders mm-hmm. because if one of those big corporations don't do well, right. then the shareholders mad and they start selling and the the company goes down. Right. So there has to be a there has to be a compromise in how we change what's going on because the pharmacist and mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm behind them 100. percent The pharmacists are getting tired of the working environments. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you the other thing is not being appreciated as well. I can tell you that much. They're yeah. not appreciated. And, and and not just, and I'll tell you this, I'm not going to speak for pharmacists, Gilbert, because I was a technician and the technicians. And, and again, I can say this because I was. Mm-hmm. 
I worked retail, you know, and I worked awesome. I love my technicians. Treat people right. They will give you 100% every day. And I, 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 a big I, a big thing is the technicians are not treated right as well. Yeah, I got places. you. you know, it's interesting that um, just to, so we can uh, make this real simple for people um, that uh, when an insurance company, I, I'll use a municipality, um, say a, a city government office, city government, they may have 50,000 employees across the state, um, 30,000 employees, um, they get their insurance and their insurance could be hypothetically Blue Cross Blue Shield or Aetna. Um, that's your insurance plan as an employee. They turn around, they get a PBM, pharmacy benefit manager. Um, we'll say it's CVS Caremark just for this example. Right. So CVS right. is the one negotiating with the pharmacies for the right. prescriptions that are typically that are typically filled, and it's like thousands right. of them that most people get: antibiotics, creams, painkillers, right. kind of stuff. So they negotiate all those rates. Uh, with the pharmacy, so they they negotiate hard with the pharmacy. That's not theirs. CVS Kmart, obviously CVS owns CVS Pharmacy. Yeah. But assuming that's the case here, uh, they'll be negotiating with Publix. They'll be negotiating with Kroger. They'll be negotiating with all these other Walgreens and all these other right. pharmacies. So now they bring down the rate of the prescriptions, uh, and then in turn, um, you know, turn around and build the insurance company for the higher number, and they get that right. margin. And the likes of the pharmacy yeah. is squeezed, right, for uh, the prescriptions. And um, the most pharmacies, um, my understanding is general statement here, um, and maybe CVS is an example, is an exception, maybe Walgreens because it's so big. Most of the pharmacies are not making most of their money on prescriptions. I assume they're making it on the other stuff you buy when Correct. you walk into retail. Right? Is that accurate? Well. Well, if you're, when you say other stuff, what do you mean? Like, um, like stuff so I walk into Walgreens, I get my prescription for um, a steroid cream. I pay for that out of pocket, 10 bucks. They bill whatever, $40, $50 the insurance, whatever the number right. is. And I pick up some shampoo, some 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 uh, toothpaste and mouthwash. Uh, they make money on that versus- I think, no, I, I, I think there's big corporations like CVS. I think they make their money from the PBM side. So the money- so, Oh, because again, they control it though. That's why they control. They control. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, again vertical right. integration. Yeah. They own they own health insurance. They have, they own the they own the health insurance. Right. Right. They own the PBM. They own the specialty. So right. they're making money on the specialty, and they're also pushing vaccine initiatives, right? Because there's there's big margins on vaccines, right? People don't realize that, but they're giving. You know, go on any website. They're giving right. shingles vaccine. They're giving the new RSV. Now the new well, COVID. I get pitched. Uh, I get pitched. Yeah, I get pitched all the time when I walk in. <laughs> and my and my whole point is there's huge margins for those vaccines. And the other thing, the the PBM side is what makes these companies lucrative. Right. It's the specialty pharmacy piece. Right. You're not. I mean, the generic stuff, not really. I mean, you might get a few dermatological cream, the creams. Right. Yeah, you'll get big margins, but specialty, Gil. And you know, and and vaccines, they're they're your money makers. Specialty meds I mean, and vaccines. Specialty meds, yeah, specialty meds. Right, so so yeah, let's talk about the, the smaller shops, though. We're talking about Walgreens and CVS, who are the monsters, right? Obviously, and Rite right. Aid, we just heard Rite Aid is going bankrupt, right? 
about yeah. bankruptcy, but but the small guy who owns two or three independent pharmacies, you see them in a small community, right? Like where you grew up and and um, right. and, and, you, and so you see that, you know, Michelle's pharmacy, she may have two locations. That person who owns that pharmacy, that pharmacist, sometimes they say the pharmacy that owns it, right? Um, yeah. So they are not making money. I, correct me if I'm wrong. They're not making money on their prescription. They're making money on the other stuff. Is that accurate? It, it depends. So okay. they're ma- so for them to make money, they've got to be one. They got to be business savvy, and uh-huh. they got to be a good salesman, marketer, right? Mm-hmm. And I've learned this in my 20 years. Like if you own your own pharmacy, you have to know your your community. You have to know the physicians around. So just I'm throwing it out there. If you have an insurance plan that is, you know, or, or you have a, you have someone that has an insurance or, or a doctor's office, a group that has insurance, if you get anything that has Aetna, OptumRx as a PBM, any of the big three, and you have a specialty that come into your mom and pop shop, they're automatically going to say that's a limited distribution drug. We're going to have to fill it at, the, at, at an OptumRx. Okay. So let's get, that's just already given. But if I have a Part D plan, like Medicare Part D cannot dictate where a specialty med goes. So you you need to be a good marketer and a good businessman to go around to your community. And I would hit, you know, physician offices, physician groups that are doing derm- dermatology, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, doing GI mm-hmm. and trying to get those scripts into your pharmacy as much as you can, even if you fill 20, 30%, right? your margins will go up. I mean, I think it's $25 to one on a specialty med that you mm-hmm. fill. So mm-hmm. think about that. If you did like 10, 20 scripts a, a month, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're doing really well. Now in California, all the managed Medi-Cal plans rolled up into Medi-Cal RX. I know Medi-Cal RX is paying better rates now than they mm-hmm. were five, 10 years ago. And I just know that from my my friends that work in the in the industry and they own their own pharmacies are getting paid a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But for an independent, you know, owner, he or she, they need to be a good marketer. They need to know their community well, and they need to be able to go to, you know, Gilbert, the dermatologist, or Mike, the GI specialist, and say, hey, you know, and and sell your business. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to sell it. You know, I and, and something that independent owners or mom and pop pharmacies do better than retail. Is they offer the pharmacy offer free delivery service. You know, we'll do it at the, I'll fill it, I'll send it over. And then what I'll do is I'll call them in a couple of days to make sure they're adhering to their med. They mm-hmm. do like MTM stuff on awesome the service. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that's something that yeah, small, small independent farm, they do they do better than, than retail. And it's and it, it's a given fact because I see it all the time. A lot of my friends that have independent pharmacies, mm-hmm. they offer delivery service. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't ask that for the big three because, one, they don't have the manpower to do it. You know, they don't they they, they don't have a, a van sitting in the parking lot waiting to take scripts. And they ain't got to do it. So, <laughs> No, they don't have to. They're no. right. <laughs> because it's, a, it's a cost center for them. They have when you have an when you sign up when a when a a, a group with Aetna that has you know uh, CBS Caremark as their PBM, your in network is already huge mm-hmm. because I have CVS pharmacies and they're like on one on every minutes away. I'm still can go to a CVS and fill my prescription and still be in network. 
but it's not the case if you network with a mom and pop shop or when, or a Walgreens. When you talk you about know, you, when you talk about compound pharmacy and you talk about specialty mm -hmm. pharmacy, um, are you right. talking? Are you talking? Is that the same? Um, no, not really. Um, okay, no, so especially especially pharmacies are meds that are already ready to um, you know be self injected or. You know, the, the, the patients either, especially as a high cost, it's, it has a dollar amount. It's a high right. cost med. Either it can be delivered to the patient's home, they can self inject, or it can be delivered to the patient who takes it to the doctor's office to be <laughs> given in the doctor's office. Right. Um, we call it white bagging or brown bagging. Right. Uh, that's the terms. And, you know, I'm not going to get into both, especially piece. And a lot of them are, some of them are PO meds that are chemo agents, uh, high cost, you know, uh, like Ozempic. Is yeah. over the counter. You know, you get pin needles. You inject yourself sub Q at home every week, right? Those are specialty meds. I don't know if it's in the specialty category yet, but they're high dollar meds. They're, they're compound pharmacy. for MS. Compound pharmacy is different. Those are like, um, like th those are uh, have no affiliation with what we're doing here. Like, if you have to mix something, mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like a five hundred three B. More hospitals use that than anything, but. When okay. I think of specialty pharmacy, I think of it's already prepackaged by the manufacturer. Because of the dollar amount, it cannot go through the regular retail and, and the control, mm -hmm. uh, handling control. So some of them have to be refrigerated. They have to be cool packed. Uh, they have to be shipped that way under a certain temperature. You can't do that you know, in retail. You can't say, well, here's a $50,000 drug, mm -hmm. and I'm going to dispense it at you know, CVS. And here you go, Gilbert, you can take it home with you. Uh, that doesn't work that way because I don't know if Gilbert's going to make five stops before he goes home and it's 105 degrees and it sits in the back of his car and then it's ruined. Right. Yeah. So, so the cold chain distribution with specialty meds, a lot of it has to do with that. And it's just high dollar and it has to be specially handled. Um, a lot of it, some of them are hazardous, some of them are hazardous and they have to have come with special instructions for the patient to handle it. So it's a different ball game. I tell people when they see advertising on television, or medication mm -hmm. you can bet that medication ain't cheap <laughs> that because they're, they're no. spending that, those kind of ad dollars on tv and radio uh, well, to get your well, attention right well have you i mean have you if you pay attention it, you know that's what scares me away from taking meds because like you know you got like they have like zell jams and you know sky rizzy for you know you know crohn's and all that stuff and you know these these injections they can cause uh, severe bleeding and, and you can, and, and the cause, the cause can, could be death. And mm -hmm. they say that on TV and, and they say it in such like a, like a nice, you know, Lost soft voice. voice, like it can cause death. And it's like, really? And you're sitting there listening to it and you're like, okay, you know, it can cause severe GI bleeding. And it's like, why in the heck would I want to take this stuff? Right. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Um, the, uh, where do you see, um, if you could just look into the future, I mean, um, there's always this conversation about high prescription costs uh, for consumers, you know, and, um, you know, the current administration is trying to bring that down. They, they've touted a couple of things they've done to bring down prescription costs for, for seniors. And obviously the biggest payor, people don't realize this, the biggest payor for uh, prescriptions uh, is Medicare. Um, yep. It's the biggest payor because, you know, that's all the people that are either, you know, not Medicaid. Medicaid is also a big player, too, because they, they insure the poor. But Medicare, um, thousands, millions of people on, on Medicare, and they they negotiate now. They're negotiating a little bit more aggressively now because they got some powers to do so a little bit. But what do you, I mean, 
How do you see these? Do you see prescription costs kind of being controlled at all? Or you still see uh, the major players still kind of calling the shots and 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 us people, us common Joes got insurance and we got to pay our own prescriptions, you know, that kind of thing. And obviously my insurance cost personally for my family is a monthly fee. And in there is prescription costs, I'm sure. <laughs> and then I pay my out of pocket, right. right. For whatever is ordered yeah. for me from my doc. So right. what do you see the cost to the consumer on a general well, you know, going forward? Well, well, I, well, this is the thing is the the specialty med piece, you know, oncology specialty med trend is, is, is going up the trajectory the last 10 years is like up of costs okay so every year and and i worked in hospital for 10 years i would always add like a two to three percent inflationary cost to drugs Mm -hmm. every year Mm -hmm. and so you know i don't have a crystal ball you know i'm not in a Thomas, I can't, you know, I can't predict what's going to happen in five, ten years. If they're not going anywhere, unless something drastic happens um, to the healthcare PBM insurer industry in the next decade, right? I know we keep talking about mm-hmm. universal healthcare for all, right? Right. Um, being in a capitalistic society and industry, I don't know if that's ever going to come to fruition. I don't know. Um, but in terms of that, there's going to be, you know, a lot of people paying in, you know, with, you know, in, in 10 years, I think by, I'm sorry, by 2030, you know, we have, you know, I don't know how many people turn 65, I think 10,000 people will turn 65 every day or something like that. It's, 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 it's an odd number. So I think as time evolves, mm-hmm. the cost of drugs, unless we figure out something, it's just going to continue to go up with inflation, right? We, we spend trillions of dollars on the healthcare industry a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it, I don't ever, see, I don't see it coming down unless I, I for me, it, it's gotta be terrible. Right. Because again, and, and I told my wife this Gilbert, I said, you know, you know, McDonald's is the McDonald's is, you know, feeding Lipitor prescriptions. And she was like, what do you mean? I said, well, McDonald's is not great for you if you eat it all the time, right? right. You're going to get some high cholesterol if you keep eating the Big Macs and the fries. Just that's just call what it is. Right. So you do that. You don't change your diet. Doctor's going to put you on Lipitor. So really think about it. McDonald's is a publicly traded company. They've got shareholders too. So that person's going to keep eating there, keeping that those shareholders happy. And then someone's going to get Lipitor, which is a publicly traded company, Pfizer, and their shareholders are going to be happy. So you're feeding this whole, you know, you know, industry of of money, and yeah. and I and, and you can't get away. Money rules the world, and until you figure out how to, up again, but how are you going to do that? Is there a um? Is... Sure. It, uh, is there a uh, I know there's a shortage of um, of nurses, um, you know, and certain uh, teachers, um, you know, certain um, specialties. Is there a shortage of pharmacists uh, right now? Um, and uh, I, 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 I I'm going into the so. schools and that kind of thing. Is there a shortage of that or no? 
I don't think so. I think I, from what I understand is I live in California, so there's like 18 to 20 schools. So I think it's saturated out here. The industry right now is not not great, right? You know, um, when I talk to my colleagues in the field, Gilbert, everybody's either on a hiring freeze or they're doing cuts or they're reducing staff, right, expenses. Um, the schools of pharmacy, although, have low uh, low admittance. And I'm, I'm telling you, I just talking to some of the deans, you know, the last six to eight months, their enrollment, that's what I'm going back, their enrollment's down. Like some classes that have 100, they're down to 50, 60. It's weird. I, I don't know. People don't want to go into pharmacy anymore. And that that's that's telling us something. If, if you don't have people enrolling, like when I was. But as time evolved, it grew it doubled. And like you have like USC and, you know, Western that have like 100 people in their class and they're in the they're in the double digits, not triple digits now. So something's going on. Interesting. I, I so, so let's project out now because right. there was a nursing shortage and there still is. And that was years right. ago in the planning where, where people weren't going into the schools, I guess, and there was enough people coming out. So I want, right. although there may not be a shortage now, but the schools are not filling their seats because people are not applying. Therefore, in the future, maybe Could not. Be. Yeah, because you're saying if 65 people are turning 65, you know, in 2030, 10,000 a month or 10,000 a day, and you're going to need more prescriptions, you're still going to need people to go to, you know, work in a pharmacy, right. you know, so that means we may have a shortage that's coming that it's just it hasn't been hit yet. Is that? Well, well y y yes, uh -huh. and, and no. Okay. right you know you need a pharmacist to do the final but is it going to cut down your labor in terms of your techs your clerks and instead of having three pharmacists you have two now doing the work and you have robots filling stuff are we are, is that where we're going to go i i see i might see technology playing a bigger role in operations in the retail side and the hospital side in five ten years because i'll tell you when i was in at you know at Pomona, you have my resume. When I was at Pomona, I implemented technology. I didn't reduce my labor because I had to have people work on the automation, but mm -hmm. it actually made it safer and it did our work better and it streamlined our workflow and it made it our operations efficient. But in retail, you know, we have this AI that you know does the work as a human. You know, for me, I have to review the script. You know, we review the script to make sure it's correct. Are we going to see that incorporated in five, 10 years to say, okay, maybe we use a pharmacist to counsel and let that do it and then bring in, you know, a robot to fill the scripts and then reduce our other labor and then cut our costs that way, you know, invest, but, you know, reduce, reduce labor costs. But in terms of going back to the question about the low enrollment at pharmacy schools, I don't know how that's going to play out because we, we grew from like six pharmacy schools here in California to like <clears throat> 18 or 20. And I don't think we need all that okay. in my, in my opinion. Gotcha. So I think we'll be okay. And I know that, you know, five or 10 years, 
you know, <clears throat> my dad's generation, the baby boomers, they'll, I mean, my dad's retired already, but, you know, maybe the generation X or whatever, they're going to be on, on the cusp of retirement as well. And, you know, here you go. And, you know, there's going to be opportunity out there. So. Gotcha. No, that's great. We're talking with Mike. Uh, Campbell, a principal consultant uh, um, at CAM Consulting, and we're wrapping up this interview um, um, and uh, talking about uh, pharmacy and the status of the pharmacy industry right now and a whole different topics that we've covered. Um, uh, well, if you if you um, if you had to, I guess, look at the the marketplace, you know, going into um, 2024 and 2025, um, particularly pharmacy. Uh, and prescriptions and 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 cost. Um, what can you share with the consumer to be on the lookout when they're, you know, I guess um, trying to get prescriptions filled and um, getting certain medications and the like. How can consumer educate themselves a little bit better? Um, I, I I would say you mm -hmm. know if you have you know known diseases that you like high blood pressure, you know heart failure. I would. If, if, if my advice, and I tell my I tell some customers this as well, and I tell my friends this, call your 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 PBM or call your insurance company. See what's on the formulary. You know what mm -hmm. drugs are on the formulary. You know what's my copay going to be. They can send you a list of what what your what your what your formulary is and what your copay is going to be. That's your you you have the right to know that. And you know um, they'll tell you if something's covered. If they don't give it to you, they'll tell you if something's covered or not. You know. You know, for heart failure, you get Coreg and maybe some Lasix. You know, what's my copay? What's covered? You know, is this stuff tier uh, tier step? Am I in a tier? Is a tier one, two, three? Is there step therapy for some things? You know, understand one whatever disease you were diagnosed with, the meds that you're on, and before you go fill anything, I know everything's urgent, but call your call your insurance company and, and talk to them. Okay. That would be my advice. And, and and I don't think a lot of a lot of consumers don't know like. You know, I'll just tell you another story. And Blue Shield of California dropped their contract with CVS and they went with Mark Cuban Cost Plus and they went with Amazon, I believe. And a lot of there, – there was a customer that I saw and, you know, we were talking outside and she goes, I have Blue Shield of California. And I'm like, you know they – she goes, I have to go to CVS. I said, you know they dropped the contract, so you're going to have to go somewhere else here soon. They probably won't tell you that or they'll probably try to renegotiate with Blue Shield and get back on. Because it, CVS lost like 4.8 million covered lives with that, you know, that announcement like a, a month or two ago. But, you know, I told her, I said, you know, call and see, okay, hey, someone told me that I can't go to CVS anymore because they dropped the contract. Where can I go? Because you don't want your therapy because she was on some meds that were needed. And I said, you know, you don't want to disrupt this therapy. So you need to figure out plan B once you're not allowed to come here anymore. She said, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Wow. So yeah. understand, call, there's numbers on the back of your insurance card. Call them. Right. Know, know, know what's on the formulary. Know what your copays are. Exactly. That's a great tip. Thank you for sharing that um, uh, very tactical approach to get to know what you're covered for and what's going to be out of pocket and that kind of thing. And yeah. you're not to write that script so, so that you, that'll meet your need. Hopefully, healthcare need right. and also save you money. Uh, we were talking to Mike Campbell um, at Principal Consultant at AtCam Consulting. Mike, thank you for being on the show uh, and sharing you, your knowledge and experience on where we are right now in the in the uh, pharma industry. Great conversation today uh, about this stuff. And, um, you know, um, people have a lot of questions about it and you've answered a lot of them. I appreciate that. Thank you for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Gilbert. Good to be with you. Take care. Uh -huh.